Hello everyone, welcome back to Point of Insanity Game Studios Geekery in General Podcast. I am Al, and joining me today, the one, the only, Mr. Chad Knigget. How are you doing yes. tonight, Chad? I am doing fine. I'm I'm like the itch you can't get rid of. I'm always here. Ooh, yeah, that 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 hurts just to think about it. So you're like <laughs> that itch that's like right in the middle of your back that you can't get to unless you've got like a, a an extra long back scratcher. Yep, that's me. Ooh, that annoys me just thinking about it. But no, just kidding. Um, <laughs> thinking about that itch that you can't scratch, not you, but. Well, we today are going to be talking about D- Dungeons and Dragons, and you know, D and D has been around for so long that it's not surprising that there have been many attempts to take this role-playing game that we love so much and put it into other, you know, forms of media. Now, of course, old farts like Chad and I. We remember the old Dungeons and Dragons cartoon uh, on Saturday mornings. Remember, you you watched that, right? Oh yeah! In fact, not too long ago, I ran across a copy of the entire series, and I bought it on a whim because it was twenty five bucks. Um, and I started watching it, and I went, "This is horrible." <laughs> but of course, but it's that it's it's that good kind of horrible. It's that. It's that fact that you're like, oh, it's D and D and the and the dungeon master and you know and all this stuff and you're looking at the and there's Tiamat and I'm like, holy sh! They could not do that to Tiamat. But anyway, <laughs> yeah. I mean, but you know what on. I mean? It's just like it, it was it was one of those things. And um, during the time that I knew Gary, I know he had a big hand in going out to Los Angeles and and doing this film. So in that way, I kind of look at it and I go, well, it must be canon. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I mean, it's like, come on. Okay, their first encounter, they're just dumped into a battle with Tiamat. What kind of a jerk DM does that? That little, that little bald-headed bastard. That's the jerk that does that. <laughs> yeah, it's like there was a. We're recording this on April fourth, and just a few days ago, uh, on April Fool's Day, someone posted a picture of the dungeon master, and they're like, "It's April Fool's Day. Remember to scrutinize and question everything, just like you do with your dungeon master." Yeah, I saw that when you posted that. I thought that was funny. And there was a D and D toy line. I get. I don't know if you remember those or not. Um, there was also a, a line of Dungeons and Dragons storybooks, like they had, I think, like Meriwether or Marigold the Elf, um, and Marduk or Warduk, the guy with like the the winged helmet, where all you could see is just black with these uh, two glowing red eyes. Oh, so the the God was that the bad guy from the cartoon? Oh no, he. Okay. That's you're thinking Avenger. Oh, yes, I'm thinking Avenger, you're correct. Yeah, War Duke, I think that's what his name is. He never appeared in the cartoons. He was just in the toy line, and the like I said, there were some like young adult books. And, of course, there have been Dungeons & Dragons comic books, and there have been more Dungeons & Dragons video games out there than you know we care to think about, not just for the consoles, but also for uh, you, you know the, the computer... And of course, SSI had their uh, had their gold box series that was really popular for a while. And you know, there was even um, a few years ago there was a group called Midnight Syndicate, 
and they uh, struck a deal with Wizards of the Coast to create the official D&D soundtrack. So, okay. it sh- I have it. It's I've listened to it once. It's not bad. I mean, it's more kind of the music that I guess I could see it playing in the background um, when you are gaming. And I don't know. Have you ever done that? Ever played any music in the background when you're when you're uh, running games? Well, the problem with that is, and you'll understand this, most gaming groups are not going to follow the swell of the music because a lot of these game, these game, these music, this music that's set up to be played during games, they have a natural ebb and swell. So what they tell you is you're supposed to run your game, you know, and when, it, when the music's quiet and calm, then you're doing quiet and calm things. And then when it, when it raises up, you're supposed to, you know, that's a time for a battle or something tense or something like that. Well, you know as well as I do that if you write out four hours worth of game stuff and you set four people around the table, it's going to take you 20 hours to get through four hours. Yeah. (laughs) And it's not going to work. I have tried it with um, Call of Cthulhu. There's actually a uh, group out there called Nox Arcana. I don't know if you've ever heard of them. I have not. But they do some very... Uh, creepy kind of music that they use for this. Um, and there's actually one called Necronomicon, which is the one I own. And surprise, surprise. I know, right? It's, it's amazing music though. And they have other stuff too. And it's all very well done, but it's just like, you can't, at least I don't have the talent to put my game to music. So sometimes it'll play in the background if I'm like in the mood for it, but it has nothing to do with the game. Yeah, and and then there was also a TSR uh, in their waning years. They tried to create a series of games where it, it had the audio CD with it, where it's like, okay, if for encounter number four, you know, there's this, you, of course you could read the box text or you could go to track number whatever on the CD and it would play... Um, you, you know, it would play some music with the NPC speaking as dialogue. And, so, you know, sometimes they had one or two little music tracks on it. And, I mean, it wasn't bad. The adventure that I remember playing that came with that, it okay. was okay. I mean, it was just like a, a very basic first-level dungeon crawl. But, you know, and we never really used the CD that much. And so I, I guess it kind of received, like, mixed you know, mixed reactions. So it should be no surprise then that eventually someone decided, hey, you know, this Dungeons and Dragons stuff, that's pretty popular with the kids. Let's turn it into a film. (laughs) And we got not one, not two, but there's actually three Dungeons and Dragons films out there. Now, we're going to focus primarily on the first one. Released in 2000, and it was a, you know, it was a mainstream release. It saw, you know, release in the theaters. Uh, the second one was called uh, Wrath of the Dragon God, which I have seen that one. And I, I know we were talking before, you don't think you've seen it, but your wife said that you saw it? Yeah. My wife has told me that I have seen this movie. But I had, if I did, one of two things. Either I slept through, which does happen on occasion during movies, or it was so terrible that I have blocked it from my memory. <laughs> yep, and and this one was a direct-to-TV. It was aired on the Sci-Fi channel. And then a few years ago, they also made a third one called The Book of Vile Darkness, 
though this one became a direct to video and it was only released in the UK. So I, I guess you could kind of see this downward spiral where, you know, first it came out with the, you know, the, this big, highly advertised, highly anticipated, you know, movie that was supposed to be this awesome blockbuster. And then, and then it went to the TV movie and then it kind of went down to the direct to, uh, you know, direct to video. And I mean, neither of us have seen Book of Vile Darkness, so we can't really talk about that one. Well, you know, it's one of those movies now that you told me about it and I want to watch it because as a rogue and as a shady rogue sometimes, there's a lot of cool stuff in the Book of Vile Darkness from 3rd Edition D&D. <laughs> yeah, and, and you know, the... Uh... And I, I did see the trailer on uh, on uh, YouTube. It looked uh-huh. like it was decent. I mean, stylistically, it looks a little bit... I mean, I found the visuals a bit more appealing than Wrath of the Dragon God, but we might get into that later. But for now, we're just going to pretty much focus on the mainstream uh, theatrical release of Dungeons & Dragons. This is no game. <laughs> so this was released back in 2000. So this is around the time when we were switching over from second edition to third edition. And from what I understand, it was based loosely on an actual D&D module. Um, I don't remember the name of it, but I, I'm pretty sure it was based on loosely based on a, a Greyhawk module. And that makes sense. When you watch the movie, it is very much, as I was watching it and taking notes and, you know, actually watching it for content and how things laid out um, versus watching it to be entertained or not entertained. Um, it's very, it, it really is very much like a, like a session of gaming. You know, the things that they do and the things that happen and the things they run up against are, are very much like, you know, like a, uh, a, a D and D game, a D and D module. So, um, in that way, I think if that's the case, I think they did a very good job. <laughs> well, at, at least with the concept, but not necessarily the execution, but, and you now Chad, you're probably going to be filling in a bit more of the blanks than I am because I haven't seen this movie in a while and you just watched it like a day or two ago. And you said you already have like seven pages of notes, I do, but there. If if I just sat here and read my notes, it would make no sense to anybody but me. So I will I will use my notes, but I won't read my notes. How about that? Yeah, it sounds good. So, so it's kind of like Cliff Notes, you know, where you're you're supposed to just kind of use it as a companion to the book you're reading. Right, right. So let's go back to 2000, and it was released in December. So. Do you remember what your reaction was when you heard about this D&D movie? Well, see, and this will actually kind of shock you. I did not hear about this movie in 2000. Okay. I was actually about, oh, I want to say about five, six years ago. I'm looking through the $5 bin at Walmart. And I picked up this movie and I said to my wife, I said, hey, look, they made a D&D movie. And we looked at the cover of it and we went, why is that guy got blue lipstick? <laughs> and then I said, it's $5. Let's find out. So I bought it. 
Um, so it was about 2011, 2012, somewhere in there is when I even knew this movie existed. Um, and so I picked it up, we watched it, and I went, eh, you know, as far as an entertaining movie, it's got its highs and its lows, just like everything. Um, but I, I wasn't overly impressed with it. But for $5, you know, I figured, what the heck? It sits on the shelf. I pull it out every couple of years and watch it because, you know, it's funny. Okay. And uh, your your uh, memories of the movie are a bit more positive than mine. I mean, I remember that my friends were going to go see it in the theater, but, um, well, my wife was a little angry at me, so she said something to me that pretty much uh, hinted, kind of like, you know, when your wife says, go right ahead. And it's like, that's a dare, not permission. It's, yes. she said it with that <laughs> attitude, like, or that, you know, this, that tone, like, sure, go watch that movie with your friends, but you better yeah. think long and hard about what's going to happen when you come home. And I don't even remember what she was uh, angry at me about or why we were angry. I mean, right. we were at, at that time. I mean, we had been, married for uh, less than a couple months so who knows but so i mean i guess i toilet seat up al yeah i left the toilet seat up one too many times (laughs) but i I mean i didn't get to see it until uh, you know a while later and i think i i think i we rented it on vhs i don't think it was on dvd yet and you know or maybe it was just something that happened to be on uh, the, you know, on TV, but that's, I, I mean, I say I've seen it like once or twice and okay. it, it made an impression on me, just not a very positive one. <laughs> okay. Well, let's take that. Let's take a moment and talk about the plot of the show. Okay. So it starts out in the empire of Izmir, which I'm not sure if that's part of the Greyhawk setting or if, that is part of like maybe Mistara or some official D and D setting. Yeah, I couldn't answer that either. I know it's not part of uh, Forgotten Realms. Yeah, and so in this city, so it's you got the mages who are like the ruling class, and everyone else who is pretty much just a second class citizen. And the thing that I remember most from the start of the movie is. Uh, something happens in this tower, and then like the river starts catching on fire, and of course that's oh, where all remember, these. Do you remember what happened to catch the river on fire? Uh, not offhand. I think it was something to do with a dragon. Yes. So Profion, uh, who is one of the highest ranking mages, um, and uh, he is not—he's part of the mage council, but he's not like. The head of the mage council, that's a different mage, but he's, like, right up there. He's up at the top. And he is trying to create a rod to control dragons. The Empress has a rod that controls gold dragons. He's trying to control red dragons. Now, these There's are the no only... way that's going to end badly. Right. So, <laughs> so there are, in this movie anyway, they only talk about the gold and the red dragons. Now, anybody that knows D&D knows there are many more colors of dragons. But, so he's got this dragon captured down in the, you know, down in his laboratory or whatever you want to call it. And he finally produces this wand 
and he tells the dragon to come out, and at first the dragon's listening to him, and then <laughs> dragons, which are magical creatures, and, he, and nobody will argue that point, uh, he's trying to tell his dragon what to do, and the dragon kind of, its eyes kind of glint over, and the magic in the uh, rod goes away, and it starts coming for him, so they drop this uh, portcullis down on the dragon, killing the dragon. The dragon's blood spills everywhere, and of course it's a red dragon, so it hits the water, and my only thought is that, you know, the water is so polluted that <laughs> it catches on fire. I don't know. Otherwise, I don't know why dragon's blood and water would create fire minus, you know, really bad polluted water. I, I just, You know what I mean? Maybe it's maybe it's a house rule from someone's homebrew campaign. It's possible. <laughs> but, yeah, and it's like, okay, so gold dragons, it's like, okay, they're lawful good. They're powerful dragons. So it's like they must have either caught, like, either someone didn't do their D&D research very well or... You, you know, they, we assume that they caught it as a as a young dragon when it wasn't as powerful. Or maybe I'm just overthinking this movie. Yeah, it's very possible that, you know, they're just trying to say, okay, well, this has to do with dragon. So we're going to put a dragon here. And hopefully nobody's going to ask the question of how the dragon got there. Yeah. Which, of course, you know, you're making a movie that, first of all, I mean, of course, you're going to have two different audiences that are going to see this movie. There's or three, I guess. There's first. There's going to be the people who know nothing about Dungeons and Dragons. You're going to have the people who maybe heard of it. They know a little bit about D and D, and then you're going to have the people like us, the hardcore gamers, who by the time this film came out, we'd been playing D and D for a good fifteen years or so, and and that's one of the reasons why I think the movie didn't turn out as well as it should have is because since this was being pushed as this big you know this big awesome movie that was being released for mainstream audiences that they had to try to make it they had to have it give it some sort of universal appeal where right, it, they, had, they, they had to take the crunchiness of an actual role playing game out of it yeah and that's why i think with the second movie it's not a good movie by any stretch of the imagination. But Wrath of the Dragon God, is a, it's better than the first one. And my own personal theory, theory I think one of the reasons that uh, the second D&D movie was a little bit better than the first is because since it was being released as a sci-fi uh, TV movie, they mm-hmm. knew that they had a certain audience that they could work with. Like yeah, narrowed th- down, it narrowed down the people they had to appeal to. Yeah, like, for example, in the in Wrath of the Dragon God, you see a ring of the ram being used. And, you know, this. there's a wizard, she holds out her hand, and this, there's bolts that's shaped like a ram's head shoots out at an enemy. And, you know, while someone who doesn't know anything about D&D might be like, oh, that's kind of cool, whereas, you know, D&D players would be like, hey, it's a ring of the ram. Or... There's another one where uh, there's a thief character in it that has a vial of purple worm blood or purple worm acid. And, you know, which, of course, you know, that's one thing that always always made me kind of wonder. It's like, okay, so the stomach acid from a purple worm can dissolve anything. So how do you store it in a container? Yeah. 
magic or it's just like universal glue yeah (laughs) you know it makes anything stick together well okay but then how can you have a solvent yeah exactly or it's like okay if you've got this uh universal glue how does it get out of the the bottle without sticking or i don't know we're overthinking these aren't we we are and and there's a certain element to that uh in gaming in general that if you overthink it especially magic if you overthink it it loses anything it, yeah, it's, that's true it, you know we if you overthink it it kind of loses all its power yep and back to the movie so i remember one of the things i remember after that scene where the dragons you know bleeds into the river and it catches fire i remember uh the two main characters ridley and snails yep. um, who are a couple of thieves they were you know, talking about how these mages, they think they're so much better than everyone. And uh, they decide that they're going to just go break into this tower. And because I remember Ridley. Well, they, they, they're going to break into the magic school. Yep. And, and rob the, the uh, rob the uh, rob the mages. And it's funny because the, the one person that has any brains is snails. And he's like, why are we going to do that? And Ridley talks him into it by saying, well, with the river on fire, the mages are all going to be dealing with that. There's not going to be anybody there. Mm-hmm. So let's talk about these two characters. So Ridley okay. played by Justin Whalen and Snails, who was played by Marlon Waynes. Yep. And what did you think of these two characters as they're pretty much our main characters for this movie? They are. And honestly, as a person who plays thieves a lot, I have played both of these characters. Um, I have played the charming, you know, talk my way out of anything Ridley. And Snails is more of your, he's more of a petty thief. You know, there's a scene, and, and I loved it. He's like, walk, they're walking through the um, through the uh, the marketplace, and he's just robbing things left and right, you know, and he's shoving them in his bag. And, uh, he steals a stuffed cat or a dead cat. I'm not sure. You, they don't really talk about it much, but he steals it. And the next scene you see him, they're all like crouching in a corner trying to hear something. And he's got this stupid dead uh, uh, cat or stuffed cat on Ridley's back and he's petting it. <laughs> I And then it's gone for the rest of the movie. You never see it again. Yeah. And between the two characters, I liked Ridley better. Again, kind of that swashbuckling, dashing, roguish charm guy. And I don't know, I didn't like Snails. He, again, he was, as you described it, he was pretty much just the petty thief who, you know, he was a sniveling little coward. Now, normally, I, I mean, I like, I was a fan of the Waynes Brothers back when they had their show In Living Color. Mm-hmm. And I remember, you know, most the, the most well-known guys from that were Keenan Ivory Waynes and Damon Waynes. Uh, then I remember they also had Sean Waynes, who was the DJ SW1, um, and then Marin Waynes. I, I know he was on it for a little bit, um, mm-hmm. but yeah, I'm I'm sorry, I couldn't get into his character. He, I have to say that when I look back and think about the performances for the characters. Justin Whalen probably gave the best performance. Everyone else just seemed it's like, okay, I think all of them knew that they were in a they were in a subpar gimmicky movie. Right. But 
Justin Whalen was trying to make the best of it. And I think it's because that that whole feeling that the movie was supposed to have, or maybe what the actors were thinking about it, it did fit well with that character of Ridley being this swashbuckling, charming uh, rogue figure, whereas it didn't quite, I don't know, maybe it just didn't work as well with the other characters. So No, I I, I disagree with you a little bit. Okay. I think um, I, I like the character of Ridley. Um, Jeremy Irons as Profion, I was not a fan of. However, okay, we agree. <laughs> uh, however, Bruce Payne, who played Damodar, which was Profion's head of security or whatever, yeah. for the role, the way it was written, I thought he did, I honestly thought he did a fantastic job in the role of Damodar, especially in that one scene and this happens later in the movie, but they've caught um, Ma- uh, Marina. Marie- Marina, and he's trying to interrogate her. And you find out that he has served Profion's family. I mean, his family has served Profion's family for a long time. And that's why he goes along with whatever Profion says. But Profion had put this... And I don't know. I, I have looked through books. I have tried to figure out what spell Profion put in his head that had tentacles and had the ability to suck brain power out of other people. And I don't know what it is. Yeah. But anyway, this, this creature, this magical creature in his head, and the only way to get it out is to get the information that Profion wants. And you see the human side of Damodar in there. Um, for just a second before the evil bastard takes back over. But I thought he did. I thought he did amazing with, with what he was given as far as the part that was written for him. Yeah. And he was actually the only character, Damodar, the only character to, to appear in the second movie. Um, and how I, I won't spoil it for you, <laughs> but yes, he killed. He got thrown off the tower at the end. Now, now, Chad, we're talking about the d- world of Dungeons and Dragons here. There I are know. ways to bring someone back. I know. But Jeremy Irons, I hated his performance. It seemed like he was just overacting. It's like he, he was like an over, he was like a dungeon master playing a character that you're supposed to hate and you're supposed to want to cut his throat, and watch him bleed. So maybe in that regards, he succeeded. But I, I just... It sounds to me like he did exactly what he was supposed to. I don't know. You're I, right. I, I was not a fan of that character. Um, I thought it was too big, too much. I mean, when I think of an evil character in, in one of my campaigns, let's say, let's say I have a character who's evil, but and the way they play Profion is... The Mage Guild isn't supposed to know he's evil. But yet everything he does and the way he holds himself and portrays himself, everything is evil. Yeah. I stopped myself saying a very bad word. Yeah. Um, uh, no, it's just, like I said, I, I think we can agree that we didn't like him, but I think it's for different reasons. And I just thought that it seemed like that Jeremy Irons was just way overreact overacting um and that's maybe that's why i didn't 
uh, get into his character. I just couldn't take the villain he was portraying very seriously. Um, now, I'm not saying that, you, you know, I mean, but definitely if you are playing a villain in a movie, you want to make the audience, they want to see you with your throat cut and thrown off the top of a building by the end of the movie. But, mm-hmm. you know, just the only reason that I, I didn't like the character, not because he was doing a good job at playing a villain. It's just he was doing a terrible job at playing a villain. So right. I don't know. I mean, but anyways, so back to the topic at hand. Um, right. So, okay. So, so Ridley and Snails, um, they they want to go rob the magic school. Um, and it, it, the beginning of the movie is a lot of cut scenes. So you have the dragon thing, the, the river starts on fire. You go to Ridley and snails and they're going to go rob the magic school. Then you cut to Profion. He's now at the mages council trying to talk them into overthrowing Savina. Well, not overthrowing Savina, but taking away her, her rod of dragon control because Shock of all shock, she wants everybody in the land to be equal. Wait a second. So so she thinks that, she dares to think that non-mages have rights too? Yes. How dare she? That bitch. I, that's what I'm saying here. So, um, and at the same time, then you cut to another scene and Savina is with, uh, Vilden or yeah, Vilden who is like her counselor from the mage guild. He's on her side. He thinks shock of shock. A a mage thinks that, you know, she's got a good idea here. She's just got to be careful about how she does it. And, you know, then all of a sudden you hear about this artifact, the rod of Seville, which is what Profion's looking for. It's this rod that will control red dragons. Um, and Vildar's telling his, uh, his, uh, I don't know, what would you call her? She's like the lab assistant. She's like a, a very low level mage, uh, Marina. Wasn't she like more like a library assistant? I, you know, I don't know. Yeah, he was yelling at her about books at one point. It was kind of, it kind of got lost and made no sense. You know what I mean? Um, which happens a lot in this movie. And then you cut into uh, where the scenes start coming together and Ridley and Snails have now broken into the magic school. Um, And this is how it all gets run together is Vilden hears something in the laboratory and sends Marina to check on it. He thinks some of the animals are loose, which is funny because there's no animals in this lab. (laughs) They have one... There's one cage where Ridley hands a cage to snails and he's like, oh, it's a rat, but there's nothing in the cage. It was, it was some bad editing at, at minimum. And it was, um, just horrible work in general. Yeah. And this is one of the scenes I do remember where, uh, Marina, when she finds them, she, I, was it like, did she cast a spell or did she use a ring or something that like bound them in a... Yeah, it was a ring. But before that, and, and one of the special effects, because there was a lot of CGI in this movie, and if you remember CGI in early 2000s... Not very good. No, but I mean, at the time, it was amazing. But now, when you look at it compared to what we have today, it's 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 horrible. <laughs> the dragons are all CGI, and they're they're blocky, and they're, you know, this, that. But they had this illusion box that Snails finds. 
And he touches a button on it, and this bone dragon illusion pops out. And it's making all this racket. And uh, they are the two most laid-back thieves ever, because Ridley walks over and he's like, it's just an illusion, and he takes the box and he turns it off, you know? And I'm like, as a a guy who plays a thief, if I make that kind of mistake, I'm jumping out a window. I'm not just like... (laughs) I'm not just like, oh, geez, goofed up, ooh, you know, kind of thing. But the illusion box was cool. The CGI on that I thought was really cool. For the time. Yes, for the time, absolutely. So, and then I, after they had, I remember after they got out of the tower, somehow they ended up in some, like, tavern somewhere. I remember them, like, landing in a pile of garbage where they met up with some dwarf, which... I don't know, they didn't, did they ever establish if the dwarf knew the characters, or was it No, more... he had no clue, they, at least, I mean, they never established that, but as far as I could tell, Elwood had no idea who they were, he got wrapped up into it simply because Marina was wanted for murder, and they, the guard had seen the dwarf, and uh, they had seen Elwood, and Ridley, and Snails with her, so they were all accomplices. yeah. It was a very, it was a very loose connection to keep this character, which by the way, Elwood was, he was the absolute worst character in this movie. He did nothing except eat and complain about getting paid. Yeah, because I remember there was that one scene in the tavern where like, he had like a chicken bone or something hanging out of his beard. And I think it was Marina's like, can you rise above being a dwarf for just one moment? Yeah. So, and, yeah. Uh, the, yeah, I mean, what, we've got a very good adventuring party here. So we've got, what, a dwarven fighter, a human mage, and two human thieves. Yes. Well, actually, Ridley is more of a mage thief. He doesn't know he's a mage at the beginning of the movie, but we find out throughout that he actually does have some talent. Um, But he, the funny thing is, is there's one scene that Elwood is good for and it's for humor it's not for advancing the plot in any way but they're in that tavern you know and they're trying to unlock the map and um ridley goes oh i remember my dad doing this and he puts his fingers on these these magical locks and he says a couple words and he gets sucked into the map and then marina follows him so they're sitting there waiting the dwarf's eating being a dwarf and um the uh norda the um the queen's tracker or the empress's tracker shows up because she's now tracking these guys to get the map back that uh, Marina has quote unquote stolen. And of course, snail sees her and falls instantly smitten with her. And the dwarf looks at her and he's like, Oh, they're so skinny. It's like, (laughs) what you really need, what you really need is a 250 pound female dwarf with a beard on her chin, something to grab a hold of, and he starts making that thrusting, you know. And I'm just like, oh my god! Now, funny, but does he? He doesn't. He doesn't make the plot go forward. He doesn't do anything in the movie that actually has anything to do with plot. He pisses and moans about riding on horses. He eats like a pig. He makes sexual innuendos about female dwarves, and that's about it. Yeah. So basically, he's kind of like a failed attempt at comic relief. Uh, yeah, I would, I would say so. Yeah, and and when when we get to this next part, after you know, when when they're on the run, I remember they went to the 
uh, you know, they're in that marketplace and that's where snails was just kind of stealing everything. And I remember he grabbed a pair of boots and was trying to wear it as a hat. And, um, there was some weird, like blue skin guy that had like a third eye or something in his head. Yes. And in the credits, he was called third eye. That's not just a clever name, huh? No. And, (laughs) you know, and I remember it's like, this is probably, in my opinion, the best part of the movie when, um, the thief, uh, guild leader who I remember was played by Richard O'Brien. Yes. They, they made him go through that, you know, that, that like maze of traps in order to get that, uh, that gem. Yeah. It's, they, they go to Anarchist or Antius city. Um, because they need to get the eye of the dragon, which, um, the map, and, and we got to step back here. The map that they were in in the tavern, they find out that in order to get the Rod of Seville, which is now the, the what they're trying to do because that's what Marina's dead benefactor, uh, Vilden, told her to do just before he died. Um, they need to get the Eye of the Dragon, which is held by the Guildmaster at the Thieves' Guild in Ant- Antius City. And they have to go through the... Um, oh, what do they call it? Uh, the, uh, maze. I think they just call it the maze, which is really kind of a horrible, horrible name for something like that. But, um, so that, and he's got to work through this and I wrote down the different, um, where is it? Um, oh, the, the, um, the Antius Guild Maze. That's what it was called. Yes. I wrote down what they are. So the first one is a pressure plate trap that um they 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 if you step on the wrong eye because the entire wall is covered in tiles uh the floor and walls are covered in tiles with eyes of different colors shapes some have flames coming off of them some don't and of course he steps in there he almost gets fried and then he he you know he uses his sword to figure out which ones cause flames and which ones don't yep and you know looking back um, there is a picture, and I think it was the fourth edition player's handbook. They had a, a picture. It was like a full page picture. There was a, was I think a tiefling or something trying to disarm a trap and they had like flames shooting out everywhere. So I'm wondering okay. if the guy who, uh, drew that picture, if he was thinking about that movie when he made that image. That's possible. Yeah. I remember there was the other one where there were those like pendulums or something he had to swing around on. Yeah, so that's the second one. There's these uh, these axe pendulums, and you can't sneak along the wall because they got spikes sticking out of the side, and you can't sneak in between them because there's spikes. So, you know, being a rogue, he's got a high dexterity. He jumps up. He jumps from axe head to axe head to get through that part. Um, and then, let's see, there was the Room of Eyes. We talked about that. Um Oh, and then there was the timed vault where there was this big cage of knives falling down from the top. Um, there's a mechanical door that if you try to reach through it to get to the door, it's going to rip you to shreds. Um, and it was kind of funny because there was this hand sticking out with a hourglass in it and it had flipped over. So the hourglass is running, but not an hourglass. It's more like a 30 second glass, but it's running through. And so to disarm this one, he actually just takes a sword and destroys the timing mechanism and everything stops. It doesn't go back or anything, but it stops. 
which then gets him into the Eye of the Dragon room, which has no traps, but it's got this fist-sized ruby in the shape of an eye that is, in theory, supposed to fit in this dragon's eye that will allow them into the Temple of the Dragon where they will find the Rod of Seville. Well, they get out, and Silas is like, I totally want that. Thank you for getting it for me. And he's like, whoa, wait a minute. No, I, I get to keep it. And he's, and he's like, what about honors among thieves? Which is, which, is, which is a phrase that my entire time playing a thief, I've always been like, honor among thieves as long as it benefits me. Exactly. Because it, you're thieves, you know. So Zylus is like, okay, yeah, sure. Honor among thieves. Give me that and I will let you leave alive. Well, of course, then Damodar shows up with, um, uh, what is, with, uh, oh, I have, with a small retinue. He has about 20 guards with him. Um, Ridley lights the uh, scroll that Damodar is now trying to get on fire. So they let him through. Um, a bar fight breaks out. Damodar kidnaps um, Mer, Mer, uh, Marina. And grabs the scroll somehow and all this. Um, they get through that fight. They escape. But Damodar is now gone with Marina and the uh, scroll. So now they got to chase him down. But, uh-oh, Norda shows up and captures them because they're all wanted by the crown. Um, she, she talks to Savina through some kind of a magic mirror and asks her what to do. Uh, Savina tells her that, you know, get the scroll from Damodar, Ridley, uh, Snails, and Elwood are forced to travel with Norda and her trackers. Yeah, and then this is where I remember they got to the castle, and this is where they encountered, like, a beholder, and it's like... that was the worst blue beholder I have ever seen. Yeah, and it's like, come on, beholders are not freaking watchdogs. Yeah, the fact that these humans were walking around telling these beholders what to do and they were listening, I was like, really? Yeah, and then this is where I remember one of the scenes. This is where Snails dies. And it's like um, Damodar's, you know, it's like Snails is trying to fight with him. He's like, you know, you can't be serious. He's like, I've never been so serious about anything in my life. And, yeah. you know, then he... And it's crazy. Um, but, you know, a party member dying, that happens. So yeah, Snails gets killed with um, with Damodar's uh, Wolverine claws because if you remember, he has that device on his arm, and it pops out three blades, and he jabs them into Snails and then throws them off the the edge of the castle. Yeah, and the thing it's like, I'm sorry, I didn't care when Snails died. I really didn't, and that's one of the reasons why I think uh, you know nothing against you know the actor. But just the character he was playing, it's like, I didn't feel sorry for him when he died. And so his death didn't have any real meaning to it. So that was just me. And when you get to the end of the movie, you find out that it has even less meaning. Yeah, because we're getting a little (laughs) bit ahead of ourselves. But I remember they they saw his name uh, disappear from the gravestone. And that's when they're like, Norda teleports them away because we're we have to go find him. And it's like, right. Okay. But so, so anyway, so then after all that happens where snails dies, they have this dramatic shot coming down off the castle wall 
of snails dead in the in the grass, and there's this really sad music. And then we cut to Savina standing in front of the mages, going, "Screw you! I'm not giving up my stuff, man!" You know, kind of thing. Um, Profion gets the council riled up. Some of the mages walk off. Um, Profion monologues. Uh, Savina walks out. Um, and then he calls for the war to begin. Um, the group is, uh, Ridley's been, he got injured in the castle as well. Some old elf heals Ridley. Which was played by Tom uh, Baker, the fourth doctor. Correct. Um, and I actually wrote down some mono or some, uh, dialogue here because I thought it was very telling and I thought it was very D&D-ish. So the old elf heals Ridley. And Marina says, how did you do that? And the elf says, the elven people do not require spells to work with magic. You use magic. We are part of it, which is very much a D&D thing. Elves are magical beings. Oh, yeah. And Marina says, you are part of it? And the old elf says, as, as are all living creatures, including dragons. Sadly, humans only see their destructive powers. Um. And I thought that was very telling because dragons, just like all other creatures in the D&D world, they come in good, neutral, and evil. You know, um, and of course, everybody's, you know, everybody picks dragons by their colors. You know, not by what they do or what alignment they are. Everybody's like, well, I like this dragon. And you ask them why, and they're like, color's really cool. (laughs) Um, But anyway, it goes on. The old elf tells them that the Rod of Seville is man-made. It's unnatural and should not be disturbed. And, of course, Ridley and uh, uh, Marina and um, Elwood are like, what do you know, old elf? And they go and they find the dragon. They stick the eye in there. It opens up. Um, There's big treasure rooms there. Ridley forgoes his thieving ways and goes in to only get the Rod of Seville. So, basically, he scored a critical success on his willpower check. Exactly. Um, trying to think here. What was next? Um, so he he apologizes to snails. He's like, sorry, snails. And he puts the gold coins that he had in his hand back down. And I'm like, lame. <laughs> um, he then talks to a skeleton who's holding the Rod of Seville. And it is actually Severil, um, who is now some sort of animated... Uh, guy that uh, takes care of the uh, <laughs> takes care of the rod and he allows Ridley to have it um, he tells Ridley he will be discovering his potential uh, the war begins the dragons start fighting um, dragons start falling from the sky and I actually like this part because you know it's like everything you watch these movies where you know, War ravages all around, and and nothing ever really happens. But the dragons are falling. They're crushing buildings. Things are starting on fire. So I kind of like the fact that they thought that through and weren't just like, you know, superhero movies were like, oh, yeah, yeah, there was $12 billion worth of damage over there. But we're not going to talk about that because the hero saved us. Uh, So uh, when he comes out of getting the rod of Severil, Damodar is waiting outside the cave and using an ambush and his friends as bait uh, gets the rod, uh, opens a portal runs through, Ridley follows Damodar 
Damodar gives the rod to Profion, who takes the magic friend out of his head. Uh, Profion calls the red dragons, more dragons fighting. Um, Damodar and Ridley have the sword battle. Damodar loses um, and is thrown from the highest tower of the Mages Guild. I'm just kind of running through this because it's it's a pretty standard thing. Dragons yeah. fight continue. Uh, Ridley then attacks Profion. It's so um, basically, Chad, it's kind of yeah. like a big space fight in a Star Wars movie, only with dragons. Yeah, exactly. But here's another bit of humor that I found in the movie. And I don't think everybody, especially kids today, would not catch this this humor. But Profion says as they're fighting, he says, not so talented, eh, Mr. Ridley? Oh, <laughs> yeah, the talented Mr. Ridley. <laughs> well, Mr. Ripley, Ripley, but yeah, but it was, it was so, um, let's see, then uh, Marina uh, gets involved with Ridley and Profion, and so does Elwood and Norda. How the hell did they get there? Because uh, uh, Damodar and Ridley go through and the it closes the uh, the portal closes behind them. So I'm like, how the hell did they get there? But then I thought about it and I'm like, well, Marina did a portal earlier, so she was probably able to create a portal to bring them through. I think it's called Dimension Door. It's like a second level wizard spell. She could probably cast it. Yeah. Um, so then Ridley gets the rod and he calls the Red Dragons. And Profion's like, you know, he's like he's like a professional wrestler, man. He's like, come on, do it. You won't do it. You're too much of a coward, blah, 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 you know, kind of thing. And um, so he's like, Ridley doesn't give in to the hate. So, he, you know, Yoda would be proud. He doesn't turn uh, to says, the dark side. Right. He says he won't become Profion, and he destroys the rod. Uh, a Profion uh, attacks the Emperor, who still has her rod. And calls a um, a gold dragon to uh, come, and the gold dragon then eats Profion, which was one of the best scenes of the movie. Yeah, I still think the Thieves Guild challenge was cooler, but yeah, and then we we kind of get our happy ending because you know the bad guys are defeated, and then right you know, we we figure then we find out that Snails isn't really dead; that they can get him back. So right, so. Uh- so, yeah, and that's pretty much it. Um, I mean, all in all, the movie has received overwhelmingly negative reviews. And I can believe you, that without even without even being forced. <laughs> yeah. And why do you think overall that the movie scored so negatively and it didn't do that well? Well, because I think they tried to make it for the common person. If I took my parents, even in 2000, to go see this movie, they would walk out of it going, what a piece of garbage. Because they're on one end of the spectrum. Me being on the other end of the spectrum, being a gamer, I do the same thing. I walk out of there going, it's garbage. So there's a very slim portion of the populace, I think, that really like this movie. And I think it was because they tried to take something that is a niche, uh, a product, and open it to the general public. If it was something the general public wanted, it wouldn't be a niche product. Yep. And, you know, I remember watch, uh, attending a seminar that Gary Gygax was doing uh, 
at Game Fest back in 2005 in Milwaukee, um, you know, a few years before he died, and someone asked him about it, and part of the problem is the the guy who was directing the film actually didn't have much experience. And, you know, and I guess there was also, there was some, you know, interference between like, you know, TSR and Wizards of the Coast, and there was some back and forth there, and there was some script changes, but... I mean, I can definitely see how having a an inexperienced um, director, you know, would certainly have an effect on it. But I, I well, think that's budget, the with, with a movie with that kind of a budget, though. There's people that have to look at that and say to that new director, "Looks good to us." Yeah, and but I think you hit the nail on the head, and I think we're both in agreement about this that the reason it tanked is because they, as you said, they were trying to take a niche product and turn it into something that's going to have widespread approval. And in doing so, they produced a movie that, well, for experienced role players like us, it didn't feel like a D&D movie. And for someone who has little to no knowledge of Dungeons & Dragons, it just seemed kind of like a generic fantasy film. So there wasn't really much of one. (laughs) Yeah. And there wasn't really much of a mid ground that they could, I mean, they could try to shoot for the mid ground, but either way, it wasn't going to, it wasn't going to fly if they, I think if they shot for the mid ground, because again, you know, the, the hardcore D and D fans, they're going to hate it for that reason. The Mm -hmm. people who aren't D and D fans are just going to kind of be like, huh? What's that thing floating around that's got eyes? Yeah, and they don't even talk about it. They're like, sure, they're like, the only thing they say is is uh, snails again goes, they got beholders, Ridley. And Ridley's like, oh, we'll just throw a stone over there. It'll be fine. And every all the beholders just go, because there was a stone thrown. I'm like, you're in a crumbling castle. That must be what they do all day. Oh, we heard a stone. Let's go. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So... Well, I think we've talked to this movie to death for now, and, you know, it's one of those movies that I'm sure every well, long... Well, I, I know this isn't a, and it came from Hulu or Netflix, but I think we should still give it its rating, because we've been doing okay. the five-star rating. What would you? What would your rating be? Uh, I would probably give it a one out of five, because it did have a few moments. I mean, the the scene in the... In the, you know, the Thieves Guild was pretty cool. Um, I did like the character of Ridley, but other than that, this movie doesn't have much going for it. Okay, fair enough. I would give it a, I'd actually give it about a two and a half. Because there is the humor through it, um, which is something that I enjoy. I enjoyed some of the, some of the one-liners that were funny and things like that. I love the hell out of the Xylus Zy- character in the uh, Thieves Guild. Mm-hmm. Richard O'Brien, who was in Rocky Horror Picture Show, uh, played the part of Riff Raff. I thought he did an amazing job. Um, l- again, like I said, um, Bruce Payne, I thought, did a great job. Justin Whalen did good. Um, but that's about where it ends. Th- Thora Birch, who played the the Empress... I don't know if she ever did another movie, but if she did, I hope it didn't suck as hard as that performance because she was calling that in from the moment the movie started. Yeah, and as I recall, I mean, her performance was kind of wooden. It's like it didn't really seem very – 
it's like she wasn't even trying, you know? Yeah, she was phoning it in. It was just, it was horrid. Yeah, and it's like, and I think part of the problem is the actors just couldn't get attached to their roles, which is why most of their performances were... And I think that has a lot to do with the writing. The writing was subpar at best. Of course, if any of you out there uh, listening to this have your own opinions of the Dungeons & Dragons movie, feel free to leave it in the comments. So... With that said, I'd like to thank you all for listening and have a good evening or morning or afternoon, whatever it is, wherever you are, and happy gaming.